Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. Got your Bible. We're going to begin in the book of Psalms, chapter 133, here in just a moment. We are delighted to have each of you with us. It's good to see Colleen back with us. And we're glad she's feeling better. And we look forward to Mike being with us real soon and thankful for that. You know, these Sunday evenings are special. And I really like them because it allows us to kind of lower the nets a little bit and talk about some things that I think are pertinent to us and maybe a little bit deeper type of nature. We have had for five weeks our chair series that Jason and I did, and then we had Zach preach for us, and then we had a song service, but now we're back to a, a little season here of Sunday evening sermons, and we're going to kind of look at some things I think will be helpful for us tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the subject of unity, and it doesn't take much to feel like and understand that, boy, that's needed today. Our country is upside down in so many ways. And unity is one of the things that we just don't see in our country today. From politics, bring up the subject of vaccines. Boy, you can get a dogfight with that. Then you talk about masks, you can get another dogfight with that. You talk about whether the students should be in the classroom or at home learning, you can get a dogfight with that. You talk about how our country handled the exit out of Afghanistan. You can get a dogfight with that. And what we see is everyone has opinions. We're all very divided. And as we talk about this, what we need to see is as a divided nation, as we are divided with our own opinions, how does that affect us as a congregation? How can we keep unity? And what's the basis of unity as we think about what the New Testament teaches? And so that's, that's going to be where we're going to kind of go this evening. We encourage you to follow along and look at some things with us in the Word of God. You know, churches of Christ are known for weekly communion. They're known for free will offering, Bible preaching, acapella singing. Like what one guy wrote several years ago, kind of a spoof, but he says, you may well be a member of the Church of Christ, if you've never been to a revival, but you've been to a lot of gospel meetings. You may be a member of the Church of Christ that whenever someone says, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, you reach for your wallet. You may be a member of the Church of Christ if you've never sat in a sanctuary, but you've sat in the auditorium. You may be a member of the Church of Christ if you've ever wondered if the preacher was going to have his ready recollection of the things prepared. You may be a member of the Church of Christ if you carried a pitch pipe in your back pocket. You might have been 18 years old before you knew that guide, guard, and direct us was not one word. You may be a member of the Church of Christ that whenever you get ready to purchase a Bible, you always check out what Acts 2.38 says. You may be a member of the Church of Christ if you sang Joy to the World in July, but you never sang it in December. Those are all kind of cute little things. But one thing that the Church of Christ and our fellowship and our brotherhood is not known for is unity. All across this country, from little towns to big cities, we see the, the marks of division. You can go to some of these little bitty country towns where I've been to, and there will be a Methodist church. Right across the street is a Baptist church. Somewhere in town there's a Catholic church, and there are two churches of Christ, and they have nothing to do with each other. One historian has documented that there's over 50 branches of churches of Christ in the country today. Many of you know firsthand the experiences of the dogfights, the splitting, and the trouble that come from such things as that. Now, to be fair and honest, that's just not unique to us. That's true of all religious groups. We talk about the Baptist faith. There's free will, missionary, American, northern, southern. There's all kinds of branches of Baptists. Presbyterians the same way. 
even the conservative Amish have several branches. And so it's not that one religious group is prone to division more than others. What it is is when you have conservative philosophies and progressive philosophies and they butt heads together, you're going to have a skirmish. That leads to a war and eventually it leads to a division. And so this evening as we talk about the subject of unity, we begin first of all in Psalms 133 taking place at Mount Hermon where we see that unity is something that's very important to God. The passage reads this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And what we see here is that unity is nourishing. It's something that feels good. Unity also, as he expresses this, is something that is comforting. And unity is something that we see as beneficial. It is good. The Lord knows the value of unity. In John chapter 17, when we find the Lord's long prayer, three times the idea of unity comes up in this prayer about his disciples. He would say in John 17 and verse 21, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Then a few verses later on, he would say that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. And then the conclusion of the verse, he says that they may be one just as we are one. This was a prayer. This was the desire of Jesus. Jesus did not want his disciples splintering. He did not want his disciples saying, I don't agree with you. I have nothing to do with you. That's not the prayer of Jesus Christ. When we turn to the writings of the Apostle Paul, nearly every letter he wrote mentions something about unity or oneness. He would say to the book of Romans here in chapter 15, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He would say in the book of Corinthians, he's marveling that they had divisions among them. But he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be complete and same mind, same judgment. Unity is what he was driving at there. He would say in the book of 2 Corinthians, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded. Again, same mind, one mind, unity. That's the desire of heaven. In the book of Galatians in chapter 3, Paul would say, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female. He says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, taking all these social differences and saying it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter if you are owned or you are the owner. It doesn't matter if your gender is male or female. It does, these things doesn't matter whether you're ethnically a Jew or a Gentile. It's Jesus. We're one. We don't have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. We don't have slave Christians and master Christians. We have one type of Christian that's faithful to Jesus Christ. Book of Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to be impressed with all these verses about unity. This is a huge subject in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come 
and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the good or the gospel. Again, we find in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection uh, or compassion, may my joy be complete by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Are you seeing this? Unity is not a little thing in the Bible. Being together is important. Now, when we live in a divided world, how can we be united? Those are some of the things we're going to be talking about. Book of Colossians, we're not done yet. Chapter 2, he says that your hearts may be encouraged having been knit together. You got this piece of fabric and got this piece of fabric. And if you sew them together, what you got? You got one piece of fabric. You've now become one. You have now joined together. That's what he's saying. Book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were one heart and soul. So over and over we see this idea of unity, oneness in the New Testament. And so what we're going to look at this evening is what I call the platform of unity. Where do we begin? What's the basis of unity? What must we do to maintain the unity? Now, one thing that's interesting to me is when you drive about town, you see some of these churches that have the word united on their side. United whatever. And then you look below at the services, and they have two services. They have a traditional service at a certain hour, and then they have a contemporary service at a different hour. The traditional service sings the old hymns. It appeals to the older crowd. The tradition or the contemporary service is kind of more upbeat songs. It appeals to the younger people. They say on their side, united, but we got two different services. And that church simply isn't together. So when we think about this idea of unity, the very word helps us to understand it. Unity begins with you. And that's the basis of it, that I want to be with you. Now, if I don't care about you, and I don't think about you, and I don't really care what happens to you, we can't have unity. Unity begins with this concept that I want to be with you. And so it's the idea that we are together in these things. So let's throw a couple of verses on this. Again, it helps us to see this. In the book of Philippians, once again, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, moms and dads understand that. We got the little kids in the car. And let's go out to eat. Dad says, let's go to Ruth Chris' house. Let's get a big old steak. It's going to cost me $300, but let's do that. The kids don't eat steak. They don't want to go there. They want to go to McDonald's. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to be selfish and say, I'm driving this car. I earn the money in this house. We're going to do what I want to do. Or do you put the mind of others first? Unity. Unity begins with me thinking about you. And that's how important it is. Do not merely, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Being mindful of others is the key of unity. Once again, we look in Romans chapter 12, and verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference 
to one another in honor. What does that mean to give preference? Well, Jim and I, we're here and we say, what do you want to do? I say, Jim, you choose. We'll do what you want to do. I gave him preference. That's the concept of unity. That's where unity must begin. And so to have that one mind, that one heart, that one voice, it starts with that. It's kind of like the preacher said at a wedding. Two become one. The trouble becomes when they try to decide which one. And so when we think about how we're supposed to be mindful of these things, it's kind of like a piano. My wife has a grand piano very similar to this. And when you hit the keys, you hear a beautiful note. But when you look real closely inside a grand piano, you'll notice each note is three strings. You hit the key, and that hammer hits three strings. You don't hit three notes, you don't hear three notes, you hear one note. And when the piano is in tune, you got three different strings, but they're making one note. Now, when it's out of tune, it sounds like a mess. But that's kind of the concept behind unity as we think about how this should be. Now, along this line, we need to understand some negatives. Unity cannot be forced. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to get a little political here. Back in the late 50s, and in the 60s, and in the 70s, especially when I was going to school in the 60s and 70s, politicians thought one of the best ways to end racism was to bus kids from one part of the town to the other part of the town. And they're going to pass schools that are close to their house, but they're going to go to other schools. I went to a high school in Indianapolis, and racism was an extremely major problem there. Having a mixture of kids didn't end racism. You cannot force unity. It's like going on a road trip and you have to sit in the back seat with your sister. You know? It just doesn't work. A second thing about unity. Unity cannot take place if you disagree. And again, we'll talk about the platform here in just a moment. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Jason, this morning in Genesis chapter 11, took us to the Tower of Babel. One voice, one plan. And what did God do? He confused the languages. And from confusing that languages, then what happened to people spread out. And so unity is not the idea that, well, I just got to keep my mouth quiet. I don't agree with this. I don't think this is right. I don't even think this is biblical. But I'm going to just keep my mouth quiet. That's not unity. That's surrendering what you believe in. And then, as we think about this, unity, as we think about it in the New Testament, is not between congregations or different faiths. It takes place within the congregation. So when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he was talking to a church that was divided. There he tells them that there be no divisions among you, that you be of one mind. He was talking to a specific congregation about that. And so again, when we think about unity, the thrust of it is within a congregation like here, and that's how God wants us to see this. Now, back to our word. First letter is you. What's the center of unity? What's the middle of unity? I, me. And so when we think about that, my spirit, my attitude, my willingness to get along determines unity. 
Back to the book of Ephesians, if you will, chapter 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. That's not congregationally, that's individual. You cannot have a whole congregation be humble. We have to do that one by one by one. So Paul's talking to us as individuals about the I, me, am I humble, am I gentle, with patience, showing tolerance for anyone in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That again tells us and shows us the background of what unity is all about. It's about this idea of being willful, being wanting to be together about these things. We all know what's like to push buttons. If you have a teenager, you know what that is. Teenager will go to mom and get mom all rattled up and then go to dad and get dad all rattled up. They know just the right words to say. That can happen in the marriage. We can push each other's buttons. We can be judgmental. We can drive wedges. Or we can be thankful and helpful to one another. It is interesting when you take a step back and do the 32,000-foot view of the New Testament churches. We can look at the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, multiple church problems there. From dead to lukewarm to false teaching. We can go to the church at Corinth, multiple issues there. The churches at Galatia, multiple issues there. Many, many of those early churches had problems. Never one time, never one time will you find a verse, will you find a solution, you need to start another congregation. That's America. That's Indiana. That's what we do. If I don't like what you're doing, rather than working it out as the Bible wants us to, I'll just find out who also agrees with me and we'll start meeting in my front room. We'll start another church. And there's places, sadly, there are places where the church building is right across the street from another church building. And where did that second church came from? It came from that first church because folks couldn't get along. And so when we think about the subject of unity, we think about the divisive times we're in, how important it is to appreciate it. So what is the foundation? What is the platform for unity? The platform for unity is a common agreement that we take the New Testament as our only rule of faith. Nothing else. It's not the New Testament and my think-sos. It's not the New Testament and your opinion. It's not the New Testament and what we always done in the past. It's not the New Testament and some traditions. It's not the New Testament and the Book of Mormon. It's not the New Testament and anything else. It's the New Testament. When we stand upon the New Testament and only the New Testament, that gives us a basis for our fellowship and a basis of unity. Once again, we look in the book of Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. If you got your New Testament, if you will, turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. No better place shows this platform than right here. We just read the first three verses where Paul was telling the individual Ephesians to have a spirit of humility and gentleness, forbearance, verse 2, being diligent to preserve the unity, verse 3. Then, verse 4, 5, and 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as you also called him one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
One God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So the foundation upon which we are unified is that agreement upon the New Testament. And as we see that, that is our rule of faith. That is the basis from what our unity comes about. Now from this, we must agree upon what we do as a church. As we worship, as we work, our identity, our vision, our direction... We have to agree upon that. Now, let me say this very carefully. When someone wants to place membership, and that happens a lot here, you're coming into a congregation, and you're seeing what they're doing, and you're saying, you know what? I can go along with what they're doing. Maybe I don't fully agree with it, but it doesn't upset me enough. I can go along with the way you worship. I can go along with the things you're doing. I can go along with your direction. You're placing membership with the understanding that I agree with what's going on. Do not place membership if your intention is to change us. I've known people who place membership, and two weeks later, y'all have Sunday night communion. I don't think that's right with the Bible. Well, then why did you place membership? Imagine. Imagine this evening I asked Larry Beckham to come to my house. Larry, we're going to have salad. That's all we're going to have. We're going to have salad. Would you like to come? And Larry says, yes. He gets to my house. We got all the bowls out. We got all kinds of salad. And Larry says, you know what? I don't like salad. I don't eat salad. I want you to grill me a steak. I'd say, why did you agree to come? I told you up front we're having salad. Why did you come? And I say that with sincerity of heart. Oh, each every Christian in the world was a member of this congregation. We'd really have to knock the walls out and buy next door. I'd really love to see that. But if you can't worship here without saying, you know what, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is right. I don't think this is right. Then don't place membership. You place membership with the understanding that I agree with what you're doing. I think you're following the Bible. And that's essential for us to see. Secondly, we must allow for individual application of scriptures. Look with me in the book of Philippians, if you will. Philippians chapter 2. The majority of the New Testament is not what we do on a Sunday. The majority of the New Testament is how you live Monday through Saturday. Individual practice. Now, Philippians chapter 2, Paul would say in verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not all, not in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what I mean by this is we may have different ideas about things. As long as it's found within the confounds of the Bible, there's no problem. I don't always do the daily Bible reading. I got my own thing I read. But now, if you come to me and say, well, Brother Roger, I'm not doing the daily Bible reading. I'm doing the daily Koran reading. Well, that's not a good thing. That's not going to get you close to heaven. You know, I don't believe in reading the Bible. I got a problem with that. You see? But with what you do on your individual practice, if it forces me to violate my convictions, my conscience, then we got to hit the brake pedal. But most of what we do is individual. Now, if you say, you know what, Brother Shouse, I, I don't want to give. 
because I want to be a rich man someday, and I'm not going to give. That's a violation of Scripture. That's a problem. We've got a problem there. But now how much are you going to give? You may not give the same as I would give if we had the same circumstances. Which one of us is right? Work out your own salvation. How many times a day do you pray? Well, I don't believe in prayer at all. Well, we've got a problem there. The Bible tells us to pray. You may pray 15 times a day. Someone else may pray three times a day. Which one's right? Work out your own salvation. That's what that means. And so when we think about unity, unity is not doing every single thing exactly like. It means when we come together as a congregation, we have to be in agreement. We have to be in agreement with what we're doing, our direction, our purpose, the way we worship. God has given us instructions how to live privately. We need to follow that. But within that, there's all kinds of applications and examples. That's why when you get to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, be patient with one another. Now, this expression from Romans, Romans 15, verse 6, says that they would be one voice. And we've already illustrated that this evening. One of the best examples of unity is singing. Look what we've done this evening as you think about that. We all must sing the same song. And we know Isaiah is up here leading us in the song, and I say, you know what, I don't, I'm going to sing Trust and Obey. There's no other way. And someone over here is going to sing another song. You know how chaotic that is and dishonoring God because we're not following it. So to sing together, we have to sing the same song. We must sing at the right times. We must also, as you think about this, blend together, and we must work to sound awesome to praise God. That's how this works. So how can people who are divided be united? They put Jesus Christ at the center of their hearts, not themselves. They stand upon the platform of scriptures and nothing else. Now, in doing this, we have to be mindful that unity must be protected. And the Bible talks about this in several ways. First of all, keeping the eyes on those who resist unity. In the book of Romans, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. What's that division? Identify them. Here's this guy, and he's just sticking his leg out and tripping everybody. Every time we try to do something, he's causing trouble. Paul's words is you watch that guy. You mark him. You keep your eye on him. Why? Because he's counter to what the New Testament is. The New Testament says be one, and this guy's not wanting to be one. Turn your Bibles to the book of Jude, if you will. Jason used this this morning, and I'd forgotten about these verses, how it fits in with unity. But at the very end of the book of Jude, look at verse 18, verse 19. Jude, verse 18, verse 19. Here it says, and they were saying to you, in the last times, there should be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. Who? The mockers. And then he says, worldly-minded, devoid of spirit. And so when we think about the marks of unity, it's going to be someone who has the spirit, not devoid of the spirit. Someone who has the word of God, not someone who's worldly-minded. Someone who wants to be united, not someone who wants to be divisive. And so to protect unity, you got to keep your eye on those who don't want unity. Secondly, you got to avoid necessary, unnecessary trouble. Some trouble is going to happen. 
but some of it is unnecessary. So Paul would tell Titus here, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man. A factious man is a divisive man. Reject a factious man after the first and second warning. Again, illustrating that our unity is under attack, and we've got to protect it. And then what we need to do, of course, is to walk humbly with the Lord. And so those are some things that we need to see and appreciate about this. And so when we think about a church that's united, a church that's united is going to be a growing church. A church that's united is going to be a healthy church. A church that's united is going to be a strong church. It's going to be identified by those things. I think one of the hallmarks of this congregation is our unity. I think it's demonstrated by your love, by your service, by your help. Layers and layers and layers, from young people to the old people, are doing wonderful things here. Our summer preachers that came through in our summer series, they pointed that out. They recognized it. Because it's not that way in every congregation. And not only did our summer preachers recognize it, but Satan recognizes it. And what Satan's going to try to do is irritate you, get you upset, so you turn your attention off of God to yourself, and then unity is not the way it should be. Have you heard the story of Admiral Phipps? He was the charge of the British Navy back in the 1700s, late 1700s. And the British were fighting the French in Canada. And Phipps had his ships right outside the Canadian border. And he was waiting on the British troops to come, and they were going to engage in a big battle there. Well, you also have to know that the French were predominantly Catholic. The British at this time were predominantly Anglican. And the Anglicans did not like all the Catholic statues that they had in all their cathedrals and churches. So while Phipps is waiting for the British troops... He told his men, let's do some practice. Let's fire and shoot these statues we see. And they fired and they fired and they blew all those statues to pieces. Just obliterating them. Then the British troops came. Time for the battle. Orders came to Phipps, start firing your cannons. And he was out of cannons. A great quote was, we used all of our ammo shooting the saints. And that can be said of us too. Our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is the devil. And what's interesting to this day, that part of Canada does not speak English. They still speak French. Kind of talks about that battle just a little bit. So when we think about unity, it's something that just doesn't happen. It's like a good marriage. It doesn't just happen. There's steps that have to be taken to get there, and steps have to be taken to keep it there. And we need to honor that. We need to thank God for that. If you've ever been in an ugly church fight, there's nothing worse than that. It's hard to sleep at night. It's hard to go on from things when things are simply not right. It's hard to worship God when folks on this side don't like the folks on this side. When the folks back there think this is wrong, it's hard to worship. It's hard to think about praising God when all you can think about is my brother or sister who I cannot stand today. That's not the way God intended it. Together. One mind, one voice, one heart. That's the spirit of the New Testament. 
and together we help each other. We've been through some hard times here. We've been through all kinds of sicknesses. We've been through the hospitals. We've been through the funeral homes. We've been through all kinds of tragedies. But united, together, that's the difference we make. Jesus even said in that John 17 passage, the world will know you by these things. And that's important for us. And so when we think about gathering together, and I've used this illustration before, when we think about gathering together to worship, this is not like the movie theater. When you sit down and watch what's going on on the stage, and I really don't care what, who sits beside me, and I don't care about who's behind me, I don't care. I'm just here to watch this show, and when it's over, I'm going to go home. Don't even talk to me. Well, this isn't the movie theater. We are the family of Christ. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're moms and dads in Christ. We need each other. We care for each other. And we should be there for each other. Yeah, we have our differences. We all have our quirks. We all have just little things about us that sometimes can kind of bug us. But you know what? That's the way families are. But what we are is one in Christ. And so I hope to see that. And in our times today, I don't see the world getting more united. I see the world pulling apart. And I don't think politicians know how to solve this. The answer is you got to have a platform. If we're going to be one, what are we going to stand upon? We have to have a platform. Spiritually, this is it. It's the New Testament. Without that, we won't be together at all. And so that's our thoughts. See, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. And you need to see being a Christian is more than just being about yourself. It's about the church family you're going to become a part of. And you need to be part of a church family. And you need to see that I need them and they need me. And how important that is as we work and labor and love and work together as God wants us to. Hope this has been some things for you to think about. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.